Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to address issues in higher education on the program today. Uh, we have uh, Utah State University President Dan Albrecht in studio. Your questions and comments to him. Welcome. Later in the program, Southern Utah University President Michael Benson and uh, Westminster College President Brian Levin Stankevich. First, a response to yesterday's program. You'll recall that's a response to a program from last week. We had Mark Linus, author of The God Species, on. He's an environmentalist, but uh, he believes that we need nuclear power as part of a portfolio of any um, uh, solution to climate change. Uh, so we had him address that on the program last week. Yesterday, we had on Matt Pachenza from Heal Utah to give a rebuttal to that. Here's Taylor Develibus's rebuttal to that rebuttal. He says, this is on our Facebook page, Utah Public Radio, I disagree with your nuclear power rebuttal on Access Utah. I think the host and guest should have read Mr. Linus's book and attended his lectures before blindly arguing what he had to say on the short hour-long radio program. I don't think UPR appreciates how influential Mr. Linus is and how lucky they were to have him on their program. Not once in the rebuttal program did I hear a realistic solution to eliminating carbon emissions. While we may hope that renewables might someday be a real solution, the time for action is now. I would also like to point out that the water used in the proposed Green River power plant would return back to the same river system. I think the nuclear power has an undeserved poor public image, and it is because of uneducated rebuttals like yours. That's Taylor DeVilbus on our uh, Facebook page. Keep those comments. questions and comments and the discussion going at uh, our Utah Public Radio Facebook page and at upraxis at gmail.com and on our website, Utah Public Radio. Now, several questions, of course, that we all have about higher education. How did uh, the the uh, colleges and universities in Utah fare at the Utah legislature? Uh, what does the future of higher education look like? Will we see more online classes, video conferencing, or MOOCs, massive open online courses? Will these new methods of teaching and learning displace traditional face-to-face classrooms? How to control increasing costs and debt for students? And uh, what should the basic elements of a good college education be? We're going to address these questions and more uh, right now with Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Thanks for coming in. Tom, thanks. Always nice to be with you. Let's start with the legislature. Uh, how did the university system fare at the legislature? What, what, what sorts of things? Uh, I'm sure you had a, a keen eye on what was happening. A most interesting session. One of the uh, one of the the observations I would make to begin is that for the first time in in three or four years, we felt like we were less on the defensive than we've been in the past. It seemed like the last few years with a a, a set of bills dealing with abolishing tenure, uh, bills that had direct effect on, on gun issues on campus, uh, other kinds of things. Uh, we, we spent a whole lot of time being defensive. This this session, we really felt that we had an opportunity to be much more proactive in terms of where we were going. State economy is a little bit better. There was a little bit more money there. And so some of the initiatives that have, have been delayed for a period of time actually did receive some funding. And so that was very positive. And uh, in, in the terms of that funding, is there will there be tuition increases? Yeah, let me let me talk about that more more broadly. The the uh, when when I talk about additional revenues being available, some of the things we've worked on for the last three or four years have been uh, sort of mission based initiatives. Uh, in our case, certainly with a large research mission, a graduate education mission, we wanted to focus on that. We did. We were able to deal with a number of things like that, and, and that was a good outcome for us. Uh, the tuition part of this is an interesting conversation. This this year, for the first time, 
since the state legislature made it possible for us to do second-tier tuition, we did not have a second-tier tuition raise. We wanted to do everything we could this year to keep those numbers down. And so if you if you look at what is being passed on to our students, our fee increase is the lowest, certainly in my memory, no Tier 2 tuition increase. There is a 5% Tier 1 tuition increase imposed by the Board of Regents. And so, uh, yes, there was a tuition increase, but it's more modest than it's been for a number of years. Of course, there's a tension there. The state employees, university employees um, would like to be like to get some, some raises. On the other side of that, uh, the students uh, have seen uh, increases, steady increases, in the tuition statewide uh, and nationwide, in fact. More and more students relying on, on loans and come out of uh, undergraduate uh, school with, with debt. And I, I know there's, there's concern nationwide in, in terms of uh, the, the, the costs for students and, and that increased debt load. I uh, wonder how that's being addressed. There are a whole lot of issues coming out of your questions. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on, 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 on the one hand, uh, you know, when we look at, look at student debt, we all worry about student debt, and, and there are a lot of articles being written about student debt. Uh, sometimes folks fail to acknowledge that the increase over the last few years of tuition costs have been driven largely by the disinvestment on the part of states in public higher education. And so there's a pretty direct correlation between reduction in, in revenue flow from our primary supporter, which is the state taxpayer, uh, then having to be offset by, by tuition increases. And yet putting that in context, I think it's important for us to, to remember that Utah State University, we're, we're second lowest in the western part of the United States in institutions like us in terms of tuition costs. We've tried to keep those, those as low as we can because of our commitment to, to access to opportunity. Our students actually accumulate far less debt than we read about in some of the stories in the New York Times and in other places. Part of that is a result of, of the fact that most of our students work, and so they're p- playing a more significant role in funding their education through jobs, many of them working half-time, some of them working more than half-time. I was going to ask you how USU students pay for their education. A lot of uh, maybe higher-than-national-averages work. Higher-than-national averages work. Uh, again, if we look at our numbers and compare it with their peer institutions, we're, we're pretty much on the top end in terms of the portion of our students that work and in terms of the number of hours that our students work. And so uh, that obviously impacts issues like needing to borrow money to go to school. Although, of course, many of them do still have Pell Grants, and many of them do still need to borrow money to go to school. But they, they end up graduating with a lower debt rate than is true for peer institutions across the country. Mm. And, of course, USU, land-grant institution, uh, there, there is that ethic for, for access, right? Ethic for access, which really, as I just mentioned, drives some of the decisions that we make when it comes to, to tuition. But let me, let me go back to another part of your, your question, because uh, uh, if we look at the outcomes of the legislature, if we go back and talk about that for just a moment, minute, uh, this, was, this was a very different year, because historically, and certainly as long as, as I remember, as long as I've been involved, when the state legislature has done a compensation increase for state employees, it has done that across the state employee base, including higher education. This year, they did not do that. Uh, the cost of living increase that was given to state employees was not given to higher education institutions in the same form. And the argument was, well, state institutions of higher education can do what other state institutions, state entities cannot do. They can charge tuition. 
and and take care of this through tuition. It's a slippery slope. You know, we're we're, we're caught in an, an interesting bind here. On the one hand, saying you can do that through tuition. On the other hand, saying students are accumulating too much debt, you can't raise tuition. And so, this is going to be a, an interesting conversation going forward, Tom. And I'm sure it will will continue. Um, we're talking with uh, Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Uh, we have him for the first half of the program. Uh, two other college presidents in the second half. Our theme for the hour is uh, issues in higher education. We're going to be looking at the future of higher education. All of us are interested in that as well. Um, and the number to uh, respond to the program, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Your question or comment for President Albrecht, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can reach us by email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. I wanted to ask you about uh, the change in age requirements for LDS missionaries. This happened, uh, I think it was last, this October, right? It's recently that. And uh, how that's affecting USU. Happened last October was something that we simply were not prepared for. Uh, we had not anticipated that policy change. Uh, we were going along saying we made it through the deep recession. We're coming out the other end. The state economy is getting better. Uh, the future for uh, higher education is looking brighter. And then that happened. And uh, the impact on, on Utah State was, was immediate. Uh, we've lost about 650 students this semester, current semester. Uh, so it affects tuition revenues, it affects housing, it affects uh, food services, it affects bookstore, it, it runs through our entire system. We will, uh, we're actually anticipating even larger numbers for the coming fall and for the following fall, and so we will have about a two-year challenge in terms of, of addressing the, the financial impacts that th- that has on us as an institution. Mm. Well, I think everyone was surprised by the, uh, by the response Certainly of, we were. of the young people. Uh, so, and in two years, you'll have a bulge, right? You spend all these, all these young people coming back, so you have to plan for that as well. But in the meantime, uh, how, how are you addressing this, uh, this reduction, I assume the reduction in, in enrollment? The, the, the challenge, as I've said on a few other occasions, is we're budgeting in a bit of a fog right now because we, we don't know exactly how large the numbers will be. We've got some pretty good estimates, but they are just that estimates. And so we're trying to put together budgets based on, on what we know and what we think we might know and, uh, and, and yet recognizing that this is a short-term downturn. It's, it's not like this is something that we project over the next five or ten years. Two years from now, we'll have... Uh, those young missionaries returning. And so you can't say, well, we're going to have a revenue shortfall, we're going to eliminate programs, or we're going to eliminate positions, because clearly we will need them when they return. And so that's part of what we're dealing with. One of the one of the really positive outcomes from this legislative session was that the legislature recognized the, the impact on us and uh, wanted to do what they could to help. And one of those things was passing a piece of legislation that uh, – allows us to recruit high-end out-of-state students at in-state tuition rates. And so we're very, very aggressively working some of our markets uh, in neighboring states across the country. Um, and I emphasize high-end students. We, we, we've agreed that we will focus on, on really um, bringing in well-prepared students who will do well at Utah State University. Uh, that piece of legislation also extended the legacy bill that uh, was passed a few years ago and allowed 
children or alumni who graduate from Utah State to come with in-state tuition rates wherever they live. That's mm-hmm. now extended to the grandparent generation, mm-hmm. and so we see really positive things coming from this. You're, see, you're seeing success in increasing this? We're, we're seeing state. success. Mm-hmm. Our, our out-of-state uh, application numbers are, are up significantly. We still need to see what that results in in terms of yield, but uh, uh, getting the message out there, uh, you know, a student in California, for example, can come to Utah State and, and actually pay lower tuition than they would pay in their home state. They can come and get classes, which sometimes they can't get in their home state uh, at home institutions. And so we're seeing a great deal of interest. Uh, what this eventually translates into in terms of of bodies and seats is yet to be determined. But we're, we're optimistic. We're hopeful that this will help fill some of the hole that is left with the uh, change in missionary age. By the way, when you talk to fellow presidents around the country, maybe not in this region, what are they what are they asking you? I, I'm sure they're curious about this. It, this is a this is a very unique problem or opportunity, I guess. <laughs> it, it it is it is a unique uh, unique issue. The the more interesting responses come from presidents in neighboring states. Mm-hmm. For example, the, the the folks in Idaho who uh, I was talking with the University of Idaho president a couple of weeks ago, and and they will experience some of this, but uh, certainly not at a level that would cause them to say we need to take a much more aggressive response. And so they're sitting up there wondering what our actions will will do in terms of their enrollment numbers. And so yeah. a lot of interest in what's going to happen. Yeah, there will, will be maybe some competition among among states for, for Absolutely. students in, in the Absolutely. West anyway. Yeah. Uh, are you looking at flexible enrollment? I know, I know some colleges are. To, to do with this program problem? Well, we're doing, we're doing any of a number of things. When you talk about flexible enrollment, uh, you know, one of one of the things recognizing that there will be a, a a bulge in a couple of years is we're focusing a great deal on on junior colleges and uh, community colleges and uh, our college of natural resources, for example, is working with a number of uh, junior community colleges in California that have good natural resource programs, and so those students would come for two years approximately, and that sort of gives us some flexibility in terms of saying, well, we have the bulge coming back, we fill some of that by bringing in students who will be with us two years as opposed to four years. We're looking at a number of things. We're also developing much more flexibility in terms of uh, open entry, open exit, which is kind of a new world for us so that we will have a series of courses so that if someone wants to enroll in in October or November or in March or April, they can do that and actually uh, take courses, get credit as opposed to wait two or three months until they start at a regular semester time. And so we're, we're, we're being really, I think, innovative in, in responding, and I think that will help us address the issue. Mm. We're talking with Utah State University President Stan Albrecht on this part of the program, uh, issues in higher education. If you have a question or comment, you're welcome to uh, get that through to us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. There's a lot of talk, a lot of interest in the future of higher education, what that will look like, what it should look like. Uh, traditional universities and, and competition, if, if there is such, with uh, you know the for-profit institutions. A lot of talk about online learning. Of course, USU, is, uh, in, in, with their distance edu- education program, has pioneered some of these things. We've had a strong history, a strong t- tradition of doing that. As you know, we uh, recently... Uh, Open a new building on campus. It's basically the, you know, the center of this, twenty-four-seven, uh, uh, reaching across the state, across the region, uh, even more broadly. 
Our, our folks have been really, I think, ahead of the curve. And so when you look at things like online delivery, when you look at things like uh, IBC, interactive video conferencing, when you look at flipped classrooms, we even have a faculty member doing a first Utah State University MOOC, a massive mm-hmm. open online course. Uh, so we're, we're, we're not waiting for things to happen to us. We're, we're out there doing things. We're doing them aggressively and I think in a very positive way. This will become an increasingly important part of what we do. But I need to emphasize that many of these kinds of programs serve a unique student. Uh, if you look at our distance ed program, if you look at our regional campus program, oftentimes we're su- serving a, a more non-traditional student, uh, someone who because of, of uh, family or work obligations cannot pack up and move to Logan, and we still provide a quality USU education through these various kinds of means. I think that's very positive. But that doesn't take away the value uh, of, of the on-campus, uh, face-to-face learning environment where so much lateral learning occurs between and among students. Uh, that will continue to be the core of what we do. At the same time, we're experimental, doing exciting new things in, in utilizing the new technologies that are available to us. I'm, uh, I'm, I want to follow up on a couple of those uh, points. I'm trying to look at my notes here. And I've been hearing uh, this phrase, flipped classes. I'm not sure what that is, flipped classes. Well, basically, it, it, it's a fairly simple concept. What, what happens is the instructor uh, does video recording of the lecture, and so the students basically see the lecture through video means, through video recordings, and then come to class, not to hear the lecture, but to engage in interaction with other students, with faculty member, and so on. And so it's, it's basically just saying rather than coming and sitting through a 50-minute lecture, you've done that before you come to class. Mm. And then the experience in the classroom is quite different, mm. much more interactive. Uh, you said that uh, USU is offering their first MOOC, I guess, this massive uh, online, uh, open online course. Uh, most MOOCs, as I understand it, are not for credit. The, this, this is where the, the interesting issue comes with, with MOOCs. Again, we, we recognize that it's something that we need to be aware of. We need to understand what's happening out there. Remember, our faculty has developed one. We set the initial enrollment cap at 500 students. He reached that number fairly quickly. We're doing that, though, to, to experiment, to see what really does work. Uh, you've probably heard me say this, but the, 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 the cost of providing a MOOC since it's free online is or the cost of developing and, and presenting one is, is basically zero. But the cost of determining, uh, assessing learning, uh, granting credit is certainly a number significantly above zero. And so it's sort of moving from the development and delivery of the course to really addressing the issues of assessment of learning and, and granting of, of credit. And so there are a lot of, of ideas out there now, and we want to be very much part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Of course, online learning can be it can be effective, and, and it can solve some problems. For example, I had a recent class where my instructor was in Price, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's that's a savings in, in faculty, for, for example, and flexibility there. You're saying though that you think the traditional in class experience should should never be done away with. We shouldn't go totally to online and, and to IBC and to us. Well, as, as you know, the college experience is much more than. And, and again, what you're talking about has, has significant value. We, we have a faculty member in Price, for example, who uh, uh, using IBC is teaching students at each of our regional campuses at our main campus in Logan and at various other sites around the state. And uh, uh, 
doing a great job with that. Uh, the interesting thing about that is he was in Logan for a meeting, was able to teach the class from here, had a meeting the next day in Vernal, taught the class from there. And so it provides flexibility, it provides opportunity for students who, who otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. And yet, again, particularly for the, the, the more traditional student, the, the younger student, uh, the on-campus experience is still a unique part of, of growing up, a unique part of education, uh, the, the interaction that occurs in the classroom, the lateral learning that I referenced uh, between and among students is such a core part of what they do. So we will serve different students in different ways, but mm. the face-to-face instruction still will be very much co- the core of what we do. Mm. I know there's a lot of discussion about uh, preparation or lack thereof of high school students for for college. Do we see a decrease lately in basic preparation for college or or not? Well, that's that's uh, that's an issue. I've been serving for the last uh, two or three years on the Governor's Excellence in Education Commission, and much of the the conversation of the commission has been focused on the the K sixteen issue. You know, how do we how do we better prepare students so that there is less remedial education demanded when they when they go to college when they go to the university? Uh, we're working very hard with. Um, some grant funding from the Lumina Foundation, Norm Jones and some of his colleagues are really leading this effort where uh, we're working much more closely with the public ed sector in, in working on the kinds of things that will better prepare students to make that, that transition to college. A lot of things going on on that front right now. And again, going back to the legislature, a number of the bills that were passed during this legislative session were designed to really address that issue more directly. Mm. And then once, once a student gets to college, there, there's a lot of discussion, I know, on what should a basic college education entail? What, what should general education be? And for an institution like us, uh, we're constantly reviewing that, looking at what we're doing, what we need to be doing. But let me, let me use that question just to comment very briefly on another issue. Much, much of the conversation that is going on right now and much of the conversation in the legislative session was on, was on STEM. And uh, there was a fairly significant uh, initiative that was passed that really does provide additional funding to STEM preparation, particularly in our high schools. Uh, I endorse that. I support that. I'm very much in favor of that. But yet, on the other hand, uh, I want to also highlight the importance of the, the broader liberal arts education that students at a place like Utah State University get and should get. It has to be very much part of our future. And so really the, the, the broader liberal arts experience that our students have on campus as well as through our distance education program is absolutely critical to our future. Following up on that, I, I, I'm sure you know that there is some pushback to that idea of broad liberal arts education. A lot of people agree with it and, and, and have seen the benefits. Some, and including some of the legislature, uh, say, no, it should be more directly tied to jobs. Uh, I wonder what your response to that is. We we obviously uh, engage in that conversation in a variety of different contexts, including during a legislative session. But again, when I when I talked about this session being uh, maybe a little li- little bit less defensive, what I found was that even the 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 more visible spokespersons for linking education to job, linking education uh, particularly to the STEM side of the the the, the workforce needs. Uh, I think a, a, an increasing recognition of the value that comes from a student being broadly educated. And so recognizing that you need to be able to write well, that you need to be able to speak well, that you need to be able to work in groups, uh, all of these things I think are emerging as, as reasons to value 
the sorts of things we do with a broad liberal education at Utah mm-hmm. State University. There's uh, increasing talk, maybe this is just a, a media predilection, about the for-profit institutions. Some of the press is not good for the, for those institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some are saying that's you know maybe that where some of the future lies. I wonder what your thoughts on that are. Are you, you worried about competition from, from those that source? Not really. Hmm. Not really. Again, if you if you look at the numbers, this has not been a, a good year or two for the, the for-profits, and there are a variety of reasons for that. Uh, uh, discussions about accumulated student debt, discussions about completion rates, discussions about career opportunities at the conclusion of a period of time where where significant debt is is is, uh, is accumulated on the part of the student. Uh, again, they have a they have a quite different mission. They serve a quite different demographic than we do traditionally. And so, I think what we need to do is is be much more sensitive to student needs. We need to be much more sensitive to delivery modes like uh, IBC or like online or whatever else. And we need to be much more sensitive to schedule issues. And so by doing more open entry, open exit that addresses the needs of some of our students, I think we, we prepare ourselves to deal with the competition that comes from the for-profit sector. Hmm. Uh, Utah State University uh, just celebrated Founders Day, 125th anniversary, right? 125th birthday. We, we actually were fortunate in having that event on exactly the 125th birthday, March 8th, the founding of Utah State University, Utah State Agricultural College, as it was called back then. But a great 125 years. And uh, incident to that, a little bit after the uh, Logan Herald Journal, has the presidents of USU. I don't know if you've seen this president. You know, I haven't even seen that yet. Um, so there there you go. <laughs> and so that that um, occasions this. This uh, final question, what might be a little early to be thinking about your legacy. I don't know if you even want to address that because, you know, others might uh, will, you know, be influential in, in determining that. What do you think your legacy will be? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I, I, this is an honest answer. I don't worry about that. I don't, I don't think about it. But um, as I look at the last few years, the, the legacy for the institution, not for my presidency, but a, a, an enormously successful first campaign, the growth and expansion of our, our regional campus system, the kinds of things we're doing with that, uh, building programs across campus, uh, addressing important athletic challenges with the move to the Mountain West Conference. A lot of good things are, hap- are happening, have happened, will continue to happen, but not as a result of me, but as a result of a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. Mm. We've been talking with uh, Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. Uh, We'll have a brief break. We'll be back talking more about the issues in higher education with uh, Southern Utah Utah University President Michael Benson and Westminster College President Brian Levin-Stankiewicz. More following the break. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Stress is what you feel when you have to handle more than you are used to. When you are stressed, your body responds as though you are in danger. It makes hormones that speed up your heart, make you breathe faster, and give you a burst of energy. This is called the fight-or-flight stress response. Stress is normal, but if it happens too often or lasts too long, it can have bad effects. It can be linked to headaches, upset stomach, back pain, and trouble sleeping. It can weaken your immune system, making it harder to fight off disease. 
You probably can't delete all stress from your life, but you can get better at managing your stress. Start a stress journal, ask for help when you need it, do some deep breathing exercises, and get some exercise. Find something that works for you and enjoy this life you've been given. This is Angela Helm for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by Utah State University's College of Agriculture, presenting United by the Land, a musical and narrative celebration featuring the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. April 9th at 7.30 p.m. at the Kent Concert Hall. Information is at united.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are addressing issues in higher education and uh, we uh, have been talking with Utah State University President Stan Albrecht. He had to leave. We now bring in uh, Southern Utah University President Michael Benson. Welcome uh, to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. How are you today? Oh, doing well. I recall a conversation we had a few years ago about your book on uh, President Truman and the founding of Israel. Well, thank you. I'm glad a few people remember it. So you and <laughs> yes. my mom, uh, I appreciate that. It was... Uh, and of course, the timing was propitious when the book came out. It was the 50th anniversary of the State of Israel back in 1998. So they're coming up on another anniversary here pretty soon. But thank that's, you for mentioning that. That's right. Westminster College President Brian Levin-Stankevich joins us as well. Uh, welcome to the program. Good morning. And you're uh, you're you're uh, fairly new there at Westminster, I know. I just began in July of 2012. All right. Uh, we're going to continue discussion on uh, higher education. What's the future of higher education? Will we see more online classes, video conferencing, MOOCs? Are these new methods of teaching and learning, uh, will they displace traditional face-to-face classrooms? Should they? How do we control increasing costs and debt for students? How to better prepare high school students for college and college students for jobs and life? These issues to be addressed with Southern Utah University President Michael Benson and Westminster College President Brian Levin Stankiewicz. And you're welcome to join the conversation. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at uh, gmail.com. We have this uh, comment, which uh, I wish I would have noticed. Noticed it a little sooner. Would have addressed it to uh, President Albrecht. I'll address this to uh, to uh, President Benson um, because it, I think it relates more to the public system. Uh, this is Kyle and Logan, who says, "How much of a compensation increase, if any, did the legislature provide this year? Times have been hard, but the legislature continues to think that staff at the state's universities receive exorbitant salaries or have Cadillac health plans." While inflation over the last five years has increased approximately 17%, I've only had a 1% salary increase. That's like taking a 16% pay cut. That's Kyle and Logan. Uh, I wonder what your response, uh, President Benson. Well, Kyle brings up some very good and valid points. And let me start by saying I certainly appreciate what the legislature does for us every year. They have uh, very difficult choices to face. As you know, the higher red um, appropriation comes out of the general fund, and we compete with things like roads and and public and health uh, services and liquor stores and the court system and a whole host of other things that get funded out of that big silo. So we try and make a very compelling case. And this year, one of our, our, our top priority was compensation for our employees. And while the um, legislature stepped forward and funded what we call mission-based funding, which is a, kind of a unique um, appropriation model that, that focuses on the unique aspects of, of each of the campuses, they did not uh, fund the the uh, increase that we requested uh, with an appropriation like they did for um, for K through 12 employees. So we're having to re- to kind of use first tier tuition 
for a 1% COLA uh, increase. And um, not exactly what we wanted, but we're still trying to, to at least keep pace with the, the rising costs that our, all of our employees face, staff and faculty. And so next year we'll come back again and, and we hope make an even stronger case that will be compelling to them that they'll step forward and, and fund it. But, uh, you know, he's right. Um, we're, we are cognizant of the fact that uh, our, our folks work very, very hard, and we try and uh, compensate them accordingly. And, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, well, I promise you we'll do better next year. And uh, President uh, Levin Stankevich, you're a private institution. Uh, I wonder, first of all, your your funding structure, and then maybe you could talk about uh, you don't you don't uh, aren't directly affected by the the legislature and the state funding, but I'm I'm sure you're very interested, and you you kind of live in a in an atmosphere where that where that has an effect. I'm guessing. Well, it certainly does. Uh, we don't receive any state funding uh, directly from the legislature of. Uh, or the state of Utah, we, uh, of course, our students access federal financial aid, as uh, do students at all institutions, public and private. Um, so our budgeting is, our budget is uh, largely dependent on our enrollment and tuition and uh, the performance of our endowment uh, investments, uh, which come from philanthropic gifts to the campus uh, over many, many years. Um, the yeah, we, we we aren't as directly, of course, affected by legislative decisions in terms of our our direct budget, uh, salary structures, things like that. I spent, uh, before coming to Westminster, 30 years in uh, public sector higher education, so I uh, fully understand the, the challenges that uh, President Benson and others uh, face on an annual basis. Uh, we've been uh, fortunate in being able to... Uh, uh, help our help our employees catch up to uh, uh, sort of national standards uh, that we compare ourselves to in the private sector. Uh, we are, however, affected, I think, uh, or will be effect- affected by the legislation on uh, in-state tuition for out-of-state students. Mm-hmm. Uh, increasingly, our freshman class has been uh, appealing to uh, out-of-state students from across the country and international students as well. And these are all very well-prepared students who come to Westminster. They are very successful here and uh, beyond when they graduate. Uh, I, I was a bit surprised because I've been in, as I say, in the public sector and every state I've worked in um, where tuition for out-of-state students was involved, this is a very, very sensitive issue. So I was surprised the with at the uh, uh, little little public discussion that ensued from from this bill, uh, other Western states take advantage of the Western Undergraduate Exchange, where out-of-state students can attend for one and a half times the in-state tuition. And when I was in the state of Washington, we did that. But so we're going to see how how that uh, affects our uh, incoming class this year and our uh, continuing students as well. President Benson, I assume your institution has been affected by the change in missionary age for, for LDS uh, young people. It has, like everybody, and I'm sure Stan covered it. But uh, we saw about a 4% drop in between our fall and spring semesters, which is about double or more than double what we normally anticipate. And then next year we're planning on a 10%, uh, just to be on the conservative side. We'd rather err on the side of being overly cautious. Um, but, you know, we see this as a temporary uh, maybe a little kind of a slight dip, um, and we hope these students will come back. We certainly are going out and, and trying our best to uh, beef up our recruiting efforts and admit students and then get them to defer that um, 
matriculation process until they come back. But it's impacting all of us, but it's just something you deal with. So we're trying our best. I wonder, I'd like to address this question, a very fundamental question for many thinking about higher education. What should higher education be? And I'd like to put it in this context. Uh, Of course, we we have uh, some, including some of the legislature, talked about this a little bit in the first half of the program, who say that the college experience and the college education should be very directly tied to direct employment. And, you know, Senator Stevenson's uh, comment he's made a few times of uh, he's concerned about degrees to nowhere. Uh, starting with President Benson on this, what, uh, what, should the, what should the college experience be? What should the college education entail? Well, it's, you know, it's, that's an interesting and kind of open-ended question because there are various points of entry for, for students along a very broad spectrum. That's, one, I think, one of the beauties of the Utah system, the public system, and certainly Westminster and BYU and, and other schools add to that. Um, but you have people at various points in their lives that want different things out of uh, their collegiate experience. Ours is a much more what I would call traditional experience where 95% of our students come here to Cedar City to go to school, and so they're residents and they maybe work on campus and they focus on their degrees. You know, at a place like the University of Utah where you have a lot of uh, students that commute to school or Salt Lake community, uh, it's a very different sort of uh, demographic that they deal with. But I would argue uh, that really the collegiate experience is what you make it, and um uh, you know, I'm a product of a liberal arts background, and while Senator Stevenson, uh, he's, a, he's a friend, and we've debated this uh, back and forth, you know, to me, an education is more than just saying, well, I'm going to go to school and get a job as a direct uh, result of that, uh, that experience. It's about broadening one's perspective and horizons and, and studying what you'd like to study, uh, of course, within confines of how, what you can afford, but uh, really taking advantage of, of everything a collegiate experience can, can offer. And uh, President Levin Stankiewicz. Well, I, I also am a product of a liberal arts education, but uh, besides that, uh, Westminster is a member of a group of colleges called the New American Colleges and Universities that uh, really focus on combining uh, uh, broad preparation of, of our students and uh, liberal arts outcomes, as I call them, with uh, professional education as well. And what we focus in every major on is is uh, are the learning outcomes of a college degree, not of that specific major. There are, there are those criteria as well. And those are skills like communication, critical thinking, uh, information, uh, literacy, literacy um, uh, creativity, uh, skills that every employer who's interviewed in any uh, media these days says are essential for their for their graduates. Uh, I can I can give you example after example of a uh, once I've received a gift from a uh, company uh, for a departing account executive at a major investment firm. He was a graduate of the school I was at. He had been a sociology major. I said, well, how do you go from sociology major to running one of the largest retirement accounts in the country? And he said, sociology is the study of behavior of people, and accounting is a human behavior. Uh, we just had a speaker in our MBA program, a local uh, executive. who was one of the largest property, uh, commercial property owners and managers in the country. He was a political science uh, major as an undergraduate. Uh, women's studies majors becoming HR executives. I'll give you example after example. So it's really about adaptability, ability to uh, learn new things as we progress in our careers and uh, understand, uh, understand how to communicate and, and interact with people. 
We're talking about higher education on the program today. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Future of higher education, what should higher education entail? And we're talking with uh, Westminster College President Brian Levin-Stankevich and with Southern Utah University President Michael Benson. Your questions or comments at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can reach us by email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at Utah Public Radio as well. I want to address this question this half hour as well uh, that I addressed in the first half hour, the future of higher education. We're seeing more online classes. We're seeing these MOOCs, uh, massive open online courses. We're seeing uh, video conferencing. Some are saying this has to be the future of higher education. Uh, President Levin-Stankiewicz, what, what is your view? Where, where is higher education going in terms of delivery? Well, it, it, it isn't so much where is it going, but where has it been going? Uh, there have been considerable changes that tend to be overlooked in a lot of the a lot of the popular media when these issues are discussed. <clears throat> and very often, uh, any new uh, development like the MOOC or flipped classroom is compared to this uh, uh, this preconception that faculty still today walk into a classroom lecture or lecture from a textbook. Uh, I know that's not true at Westminster. I know it's not true at many institutions. Uh, We've been through a period of about 10 years focusing on teaching to learning, making the classroom more active. Uh, So the the kind of flipped classroom discussion you had with uh, President Albrecht a few minutes ago uh, has been occurring. Uh, Students are learning and gaining information outside of the classroom and using the class time to to engage with each other, engage with the faculty member, challenge themselves, challenge their ideas, have to defend ideas. These are, those are the kind of graduates I want to hire eventually, people who have had to stand on their own feet, develop an idea, and defend it. And um, so, so we welcome a lot of these techn- technological innovations. Uh, we're not uh, presently preparing a massive open online course. Uh, but we certainly have upside-down classes. We certainly use technology across our curriculum. And uh, we've actually developed a number of competency-based programs uh, through our Division of New Learning uh, that are comparable to some of the best in the country and have been at the table with uh, with some of the more highly publicized programs. And these are largely at the master's level, but also at the bachelor's level. And uh, so we're following very with great interest the Department of Education's uh, rulings around credit hours and financial aid and how students in competency-based programs can uh, receive federal financial aid. Uh, President Benson, uh, same question. And will this, these new methods of delivery, at some point displace traditional classroom learning? Should it? Uh, where do you think it's going? Well, I don't know if I can divine the future and say it will uh, absolutely replace I don't think it will. There will always be a I believe a market for a certain kind of student that wants that traditional uh, mode of, of teaching and learning. I certainly sit in that category. I'm a product of that. But I've also taken an online course within the last uh, two years, and I've taught one. And uh, students respond in different ways. Um, I think um, a model that we're certainly trying to um, to pursue here at, at SUU is maybe a hybrid, maybe a, an amalgam, if you will, of, of different techniques like uh, like has been mentioned before, uh, of, to try our the best uh, delivery method and reception method for for students. But MOOCs certainly um, are are transforming the the landscape of higher education. My 
biggest concern, quite frankly, is is cost. Uh, if the GI Bill transformed American society in the 20th century and threw open the doors of, of higher ed to a population that heretofore did not have access, I worry that that uh, that kind of that funnel of students to our campuses is being just ever so slightly squeezed to the point where students will not have access, and that has, I think, very uh, negative implications and collateral impact for our society as a whole. And so we're trying our best to keep our costs where they um, are affordable uh, and have access to both scholarships and financial federal aid so that students um, can graduate with the least amount of debt. U.S. News and, uh, US News and World Report just came out with its uh, rankings, of course, and I was delighted to see SUU was in the top five of Western schools with students graduating with the least amount of undergraduate debt. Um, and we're going to continue to pursue that here on our campus. I want to pursue the talking about debt. There's been much in the press about increasing uh, student debt and, uh, and uh, people coming out with, with just just crushing debt, uh, increasingly not just in grad school but, but out of the undergraduate programs. Uh, I, I think you two gentlemen probably may be aware of this op-ed piece which came out recently in the uh, – New York Times, this is Arthur Brooks. He's touting his degree at a virtual college. I think he's head of the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, and he's he's saying he went to Thomas Edison State College in New Jersey, which is a virtual college. It just is sort of funnels uh, classes, the, the correspondence courses, online courses through other institutions, and you can get your degree. And he's touting something that's out there uh, being put forward by Bill Gates and others, the 10KBA uh, looking at the cost side, uh, proposing that uh, people come out of college having spent no more than ten thousand dollars on their on their bachelor's degree. Starting with President Benson on this, first of all, do you, do you think that's possible? Ten K B A. Well, it's certainly the, the kind of the uh, the topic du jour. You hear about it uh, in places like Texas. Governor Perry is, is pushing it quite aggressively, and every you know to say there's a ten thousand dollar bachelor's degree out there, I think, is a little bit of a of a misnomer and a little, um, uh, it, it's a little uh, difficult to kind of get one's mind around it because each each state's going to be different, each campus is going to be different. Uh, the fact that, it, let's say, for example, the University of Texas at Austin, their their costs of instruction are probably um, quite a bit higher than ours here because of their the cost of their of their their programs and their their faculty. That said, I don't think we should ever uh, say that's not possible. Um, I, I did see Mr. Brooks' editorial, and he makes some very, I think, valid and salient, salient points. But uh, it, it is an issue for each state to say, can we afford uh, to water down, if you will, the quality of those degrees? I think one of the biggest concerns that we have is that our students graduate with a degree that means something, whatever their chosen field. That, that, that our responsibility as administrators is to burnish the, the reputation of that diploma on their wall and the fact that they can get a job after they graduate. Um, and they do it with the least amount of debt uh, as possible. But the $10,000 bachelor's degree, I think, is, uh, is, a, is a, an argument and debate that will not go away anytime soon, and it's just in a matter of uh, states and campuses coming up with a plan that uh, can fit within those, uh, within, this, within those parameters. We just have about a minute left. I'll have uh, President Levin Stankiewicz respond to this. The 10 KBA and, and the idea of, of trying to reduce the amount of debt that students are coming out with. Well, reducing debt is something I think all of us are, are committed to. Um, we're very pleased with the fact that at uh, Westminster College, which many in the state consider an expensive institution, that our students have no more than average debt. 
And, in fact, um, after BYU and the University of Utah, we are the next uh, best institution in terms of our three-year repayment of, of that debt. Uh, so I think uh, as we look at some of these uh, providers who are, are claiming to have low-cost degrees, and I agree with uh, President Benson in terms of what, what is it that you're actually getting for that $10,000, um, then, then we need to also look at uh, how much tax money is being uh, uh, used up in, in those degrees that is not being paid back to the uh, taxpayers who provide federal financial aid to those students and to those institutions. We will leave it there. Uh, President uh, Brian Levin Stankevich from Westminster College, thank you so much. You're very welcome. And Southern Utah University President Michael Benson, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Good to be with you. Tomorrow on the program, Virginia Sudbury, author of Sweatshops in Paradise, a true story of slavery in modern America. And thanks for listening to Access Utah Today.